Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app. We are on Red Circle now instead of Podbean, but also Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Five Reasons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button there and check out fivereasonsports.com. Spell that out. Unlike the newspapers, we do not have a paywall. Also check out our great sponsors. That includes our friends. You'll find them all over the world, but you also find them at FTX Arena quite a bit. Eric Rubenstein, big Miami Heat fan, but also he's a terrific personal injury attorney. Car accidents, slip and falls, medical malpractice, and more. He's right down here in South Florida, grew up in the Lauder Hill area, and also was magna cum laude at St. Thomas University. So check him out on Instagram. Ask about me, I got you. That's ask about me, I got you. Or give him a call, 954-829-ERIC. That's Eric with a C, not a K in this case. 954-829-ERIC. That's Eric Rubenstein, again, specializing in car accidents, slip and falls, and medical malpractice. Have Eric get you the money that you deserve. And now, tonight's episode. Down to Biscay. Yikes. Uh. Five on the floor, ride for my dogs. Where here's the thing, you can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars, wearing bubble frogs. Just like Buckley said, you in trouble, y'all. Kept the floor plan, got an all band. Y'all seen the block, stop with one hand. And Pat, we trust, it's power, have the guts. We're here to bring the heat, y'all can hang it up. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan. We just got a two-man game going, me and Greg Sylvander. You can follow him at Greg Sylvander. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick. And at Five Reasons Sports, make sure to check out our episode with all four of us. Brady and Alex were with us. Is it time to panic? We got a lot of response to that one. We're going to do an offshoot of that episode, a quick one here before the Heat play Golden State. And by the way, uh, the Warriors are not playing well on the road. So we will see how that goes. They have been pretty much hammered on the road so far this season. I made the point on the new national podcast I'm doing for Fansided with Brady uh, that a lot of the home road splits are telling at this point of the season. I know Miami struggled at home, so obviously they don't get off the hook in this particular case. But the Bucks and Suns are playing really well. The Bucks and Suns have hardly played a road game. I think they both played one road game each. So, again, take that into some consideration as you're seeing some of the teams that are struggling and some of the teams that are succeeding. Some of it just has to do with the anomalies of the schedule early. But Golden State has not played well on the road. Uh, we know the problems that they present. We know that Curry had 33 against Miami in the last game. And we know that the Heat are kind of reeling right now. I mean, there's just no way around it. I mean, and I got a text today. Someone pretty high up in the organization. And the text was very simple. And when I responded, this person did not respond back. And it simply said, breathe. And I know this is someone who listens to our podcast. So that's coming from inside the house. Okay. And that leads me to believe that at least in that corner of the house, there's a feeling that this is not so serious at this point. So stop stressing about it. And that there's a belief that they will figure it out. But the question becomes, do they figure it out internally, Greg? Or do they have to do something externally? And we know that some of their contracts are not available for trade at this point. I want to go over that a little bit here. And then also I want to go historically to see if doing kind of the in-season trade thing has really changed things for the Heat much over the years. Because I think there's a little bit of an overrating here of this. Most of the Heat's in-season trades were not really made for that year. They were made for future years or flexibility 
uh, things along those lines. There's one, of course, notable exception, which was recent, which we will talk about. But Greg, let's get to this. Which contracts, they're waiting, right, in part on some contracts they can move, right? So Deadman can't be moved until January, correct? That's correct. So a lot of the guys that they uh, brought back for the this next campaign, Dwayne Deadman, Victor Oladipo, uh, those guys um, have to wait until January 15th. Uh, to be moved. And then, um, oh, I guess Caleb Martin would also fall under that premise as well. Uh, and then obviously they have, um, a- actually, honestly, that's really the bulk. Oh, and Tyler Hero is the other guy that's going to be really difficult to move because of his um, base year compensation rules and the outgoing versus ingoing salaries, which we do not need to break down on this show. But so he's another guy that I would not expect to be involved in any trade talks, frankly, at, at any point this season. So it's really those guys that they're waiting to move um, the kind of the low hanging fruit. And, and I, I don't want to steal our thunder for later is that there's a couple guys not on that list of guys that can't be traded yet that I think um, could be ripe for the picking. Um, so I, I do think that there's moves to be made, but there's going to inevitably with Dwayne Dedman, the way that contact that contract was structured as well as Victor Oladipo, frankly, I mean, I know that that was like a high upside swing, but also that's a movable contract um, that I think that they will have a little bit more tools in the toolbox if they can extend this to January. And like we talked about on the last show, it's, can they make it that far? Right. Cause as you look back in heat history, and I know you want to go down this road a little bit. So I'll just allude to a couple of them. There were a few trades made earlier. Like when they got Jamal Mashburn before all of you who are listening were born and only Ethan and I were probably watching. I was at, um, that, I was at practice that day. <laughs> that was like uh if I remember and literally I'm going off memory, so hold me accountable, listeners. Go look it up on whatever website shows you this transaction history. I'm pretty damn sure that was like a December or yes. a, or or a, that was an December. early move. Yes. When they got Kevin Willis pre-Riley, that was a November move. Zoe was obviously right before the year. So they've made some early, early season moves. But for the most part, it's been trade deadline stuff. You're talking Goran Dragic. You're talking Jay Crowder. Igor, Tim Hardaway. Tim Hart. Yeah, that goes so far back. Um, and that's the nuclear option with this team that I don't think is viable. But a Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill type deal or a Goran Dragic impact type player i think those are some parallels when we look at past deals that make sense right well they've also done buyout deals uh in the past i don't think that's a a definitive option for them this year we'll see there may be a flurry of trades made as some teams kind of figure out and i'm not talking about now i'm talking about a couple months from now as as teams figure out that they're not in the race but when you see what's happened earlier this season where there are teams we expected to be good that so far are not uh, the Clippers being one, the Sixers being another, that y- you may see teams hang in a little bit longer, um, you know, because, again, it's it's just it's murky uh, with a lot of these teams. I mean, look, the Jazz and the Spurs are going to fade. OK, the Wizards will probably fade. There are some teams I think you can anticipate are going to go the other direction, but there are also some teams that have gotten off to slow starts that I would anticipate would be better. And it is going to create. Uh, I think a little bit of a delay in terms of teams making moves. Um, and then I do think you're going to see the really bad teams who obviously want the six foot five guy, or six, excuse me, the seven foot five guy 
who are going to start trading off anything decent that they have to try to get into that mix for the lottery, regardless of what Adam Silver wants. Although Adam Silver is currently streaming his games on the NBA app. So it's, it, there's a little bit of a double standard here. We don't want you to tank, but we're going to promote the guy you're all tanking for. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where the NBA is at uh, with this, but um, you know, buyout moves are usually for final pieces to puzzles with them. And what's interesting is if you look at like the big three era, they didn't make a single significant trade in those nope. four years. Right. I mean, it was, it was just, we had a Ronnie Turioff, right. We had uh, Eddie Curry didn't work out. We had, uh, you know, they added guys during the season. The one that did work out was Birdman. And I, I remember uh, being in, I think we were in Portland at a practice and LeBron basically said, we need help. Uh, and they, but they had been doing the work on, because they couldn't rebound at all. Okay. A similar situation to this actually. And, They've been doing the work on Birdman behind the scenes just because he had an issue at the time that they were investigating. And then he was ready to go. He stepped right in and we all know what happened at, at that point. I think they were 37 and three when he jumped in. That kind of guy is not out there this time. OK, so if you're going to upgrade this roster, it's going to have to be a trade. And there are really look, there, there are different types of trades, as you've mentioned, that they've made. The, the Mashburn and Hardaway trades were foundational trades, okay? That, that was, you already had Zoe, so that trade had been made prior to the season, a couple of days before the season started, actually, okay? It was real close to it, and I, I think you're right, because I just remember that the Mashburn trade, well, let, let's go to this. The Tim trade was part of five for five at the trade deadline in February. The Mashburn trade was the following year or the following season, that they brought him in and he was like the third piece that they, they felt that team needed a third scorer. And Jamal was the guy that they targeted for that. Um, but those were foundational things. Those were building block type pieces. Then there's the, the other trades that, you know, some, there was a trade, you know, the Brent Barry, the Ike Austin from Brent Barry trade, which was basically, that was a trade. That was a financial trade, right? That was a trade because you didn't think you could resign Ike Austin, and so you were trying to bring an asset and they've done some of those, right? They've done some books, you know, some bookkeeping type trades over the years, salary cap, looking forward. A lot of the stuff that they do now is last day of the regular season where they find some, you know, unpolished gem and they sign them to one of those three-year contracts. We saw that with Kendrick Nunn. Okay. And they've done that with some others in this particular case. I'm with you that the type of trade that they're probably looking at, is the Crowder uh, Iguodala type trade, okay? Where if you go back to what happened two seasons ago, they they had Justice Winslow. He wasn't playing. They had the contracts of Waiters and James Johnson, and they did a trade that like served a number of different purposes, right? Like part of it was just to clean up the books. I mean, that, that was really it. It was to get Dion off the contract. Part of it was that they knew that Justice was not a Heat type player anymore. And so they just wanted to get rid of that drama because it had become drama behind the scenes. And kind of the third part of it was we've always liked Iguodala and Crowder and we think they can help us. But I still to this day do not believe that that was the primary reason for that trade. I think the uh, I think the other reasons I think it was more cleaning the cap, refocusing, getting rid of some players you didn't want anymore. It was addition by subtraction, really, with with J.J., with Dion Waiters and with with Winslow. Right. And then you added players in addition. And we, but here's the thing about that trade that we, we need to go back because revisionist history happens even when it's not really old history, which is that it didn't really work so well at first. Uh, it, it, it was a weird year, I remember, because they had the lockout, you know, the, not the lockout, but the COVID shutdown in March, right? 
And then every, everybody took months off. But before that, you know, right after the trade deadline, the Heat went on a West Coast swing, and they looked awful with Crowder and Iguodala, frankly. They had other guys out at that time. It didn't really click until the bubble. And it didn't really click with the guy that everybody was promoting, which was Iguodala, as much as it did with Crowder. So that trade turned out to be a little different than people expected. So I, I just I bring that one up because that's going to be the one sided as the one that worked. And it did. They got to the finals. But even that kind of trade, which ended up working, Greg, did not really look. I, I mean, we all liked it at the time for various reasons. They needed to move on from justice. They needed to clean out waiters. Crowder was a guy when they knew they we knew they always liked. Iguodala had been a finals MVP, even though he was diminished. We liked it for a lot of reasons, but it didn't really work that well at first. And it's very possible they could make another trade if they're just trying to sort of reshuffle pieces. Maybe some of it's cap. Maybe some of it is trying to change the, the dynamic of the rotation. It, it might not work that well again at the beginning. You're right. And so there's a couple things. Like, one um... – they're going to have to decide what level of trade they want to make, right? Do you want to take Duncan Robinson, add Dwayne Dedman, go find a $20 million player, but know that he either needs to be on a really long-term contract that other teams are looking to shed and you're willing to take that shot, or are you willing to attach an asset to get that deal done? Or do you want to clean up the cap in an even more aggressive fashion? Again, these are just different options. I'm not saying any of this is viable, but do you take two long-term contracts, AKA Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson and try to find an out for both of them and maybe be able to acquire an asset in the process, depending on the, on the team. Um, You know, like, for instance, the deal that gets thrown around was Russell Westbrook for those two and LA would send picks. I'm just, again, completely speculating they'd have to decide is it worth taking on kind of a player that doesn't fit and it's not part of the long-term plans but you're getting flexibility and you're getting draft assets that doesn't feel Miami heat to me to me it would be more about taking some of your bigger contracts and maybe it doesn't need to go as far as Kyle that's like the very extreme scenario but Duncan Robinson who hasn't been able to really find his niche he still does not look comfortable hasn't been um doesn't have a defined role, I don't feel. I think that when Yurt comes back, Duncan's minutes may even go down further as they lean in there. Do you take Duncan and add a Dwayne Dedman, attach one of your picks, and go and try to get an upgrade? Like I think that that's probably the, the way that you lean, but there's always that you know, part of me that says, what's the biggest move they can make, and what's the biggest swing? And after being really, really careful this summer – I also feel like if this continues to crater, how careful can you be? And then in good conscience, say that you're sticking by the timelines of a player like Jimmy Butler, et cetera. So it's a really interesting mix here about like which direction they want to go. Cause you're right. The trade they make may not be for right that moment, depending on what they're getting back and that kind of stuff. And then this is the other part is that, if they get back a player that makes them play differently, how long does that take to figure out? Like Miles Turner is a player that player people on the timeline will tweet me and say, what about Miles Turner? Well, if you had Turner and Bam, I think you'd have to play a lot differently. So how long does that take to make sense? So there's a lot of complexities to this, but again, why am I positive minded? Everyone was going at me about why I was being, um, <clears throat> while I felt encouraged was the word I used. They have options. And I think that, they just may need to go to him a little sooner than we expected. But doesn't this all come back to one guy? 
Because if we're talking about, okay, we can talk about Duncan Robinson trades with Dwayne Dedman and whatever. And like you said, they find a, a four who has a contract that maybe goes a little bit longer than they would have liked. Okay. Another team is just, you know, do, doesn't want to continue with the particular player, but it's a player Miami feel that they can use in their system who would be an upgrade over what they have and would allow Caleb to go back to kind of a Jack of all trades type role. Right. Cause I don't think anybody's being critical of Caleb Martin. Like I, I don't think this is not the Mo Harkless situation. No way where it's been a, or Trevor Reza situation where it's been a clear bust. And they're just shoving him out there. Caleb has played well. That's not the problem. The problem is even the best of Caleb Martin in that spot, okay, playing out of position, regardless of whether we're going to talk about positionless or not, is that is that proper lineup and roster construction? That's the question. I don't think I've come to a conclusion about that yet because actually the starters' numbers from a you know purely analytical standpoint have been pretty good, okay? So I, I don't, you know, doesn't that doesn't seem to be the problem. The problem seems to be when they go to the bench uh, and then they start to stagger players together. And it just does, it doesn't seem like they found either the right combinations or the right intensity. Okay. Both. All right. And, and so I, you know, but again, it's early. Okay. Breathe. But I, I understand, I understand the heat's fans concern about this, but aren't we just all talking about Kyle Lowry here? Like I, I feel like every podcast we're going to do lately is going to come back to this because the Tyler Hero talk is off the table. He can't be traded. So, like, let's just stop with that. Bam and Jimmy are not being traded. Okay, so that's off. So, I mean, if you're going to make a move of any significance, the contract that's the biggest, okay, the profile that's the biggest is Kyle Lowry. And it, to me, it all comes down to this. Is he a positive value player at this point? Because, and for who? Because if you if you just go back a year, right, a little over a year, there was a, a, a very healthy free agency market for Kyle Lowry at the number or very close to the number that the Heat ended up giving him. I mean, it was New Orleans. It was Dallas. It was Philadelphia. Okay. It was one of the LA teams, wasn't it? I, I believe uh, the Clippers. There were a bunch of teams in the mix for him. Now, he had a season that was marred by, you know, obviously dealing with personal issues and absences, being out of shape. Okay. In addition, which, again, that may have played into him being out of shape because he was coming and going as he was. Uh, but also, it just he didn't seem and, – and look, there's another story, and I, I would thank uh, Lynette from insurancebylynette.com, by the way. She sponsors our postgame show, who sent me an article from – I think it was the Toronto Sun or Star. I apologize if I get it wrong. But it was by Doug Smith, okay? Who, and and if, you've, if you follow the Raptors at all, you know who Doug Smith is, okay? He's basically – and I say this with respect to Ira Winderman. He's basically the Ira Winderman of the Toronto Raptors coverage. Okay. He's just been there very long time. He knows all the people inside. He has a relationship with Kyle Lowry. Okay. I, I know it because I was up there quite a bit. And I covered a playoff series up there. Okay. And, and I know Doug and uh, his article basically indicated that Kyle's not that happy, which we've talked about. Right. But let, let me, let me just read this part of it. Okay. Because to me, to me, this was the interesting. Uh, this was the interesting paragraph in this. This was also about Otto Porter and some others. But he says, he says, hang around the Miami Heat for a few days. And Doug was covering the Heat for a couple of days on the road. Uh, hang around the Miami Heat for a few days. It's clear no one is quite sure what's up with Kyle Lowry. He's had more blog games than good ones to start the season. They, by the way, this was after the Heat were two and three. Now they're two and five, and Kyle didn't play very well in one of those games. Okay, so this is even before that. 
He's had more blah games than good ones to start the season. The Heat don't look offensively sharp. They don't guard particularly well. And Dr. Lowry just doesn't look himself. Yes, there are off-court issues that are still weighing on his mind. But the weird part is that he – and this – I think you and I have seen this, and we've heard this. He doesn't seem to be getting much joy out of playing the game. One fellow who knows the Heat inside and out – I'm not going to speculate on that. But anyway – <laughs> the person would know, and I have an idea who's talking to here. But one fellow who knows the Heat inside and out says he thinks the last time he saw Lowry smile on a basketball court was in Toronto last season. He doesn't look like – he didn't look like himself in either of the Raptors games in Miami. It can't be easy – and this is more speculation on Doug's part. It can't be easy being on the Heat and all the talk about culture has to wear thin. Well, that may be Doug's opinion, but we have heard that, right? Yes. Okay, we have heard that. And again – Doug talks to Kyle. Okay. It's not a fun loving bunch. That's interesting. He says that because I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do agree that they look different this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I do think that this has been a team that has had fun over the past couple of years. And I, I definitely don't agree with this. And stern head coach, Eric Spolcher does not embody much fun or create a relaxed atmosphere. I think that's an unfair characterization of the Spolstra, um, situation there are things yes eric runs a tight ship in a lot of different ways but he's catching a pat riley stray right there yeah i, I yeah exactly i mean come on i mean these practices that eric runs are like i mean seriously like come on i i i said i sat i sat outside at LaSalle high school waiting for pat they lost they lost to the knicks on national tv the next day pj brown and i this is how far back this goes they used to practice at LaSalle. pj brown and i were supposed to meet to because I was actually helping him with his launch of his website because I was fairly close with PJ when he was a player. So, and I was doing like, we were doing like one-on-one -on -one Q and a type stuff for his website. So basically, so I was waiting for him to go to basically the lunch after practice. I waited for six and a half hours. Okay. <laughs> at LaSalle, we ordered pizza twice. Okay. <laughs> Sitting there, the kids got let out of school because it was literally out of school. They were still practicing. During that time, or, or doing film, during that time, they actually had Rex Walters, who was with the team briefly. If you remember him, he, he, was, uh, he was a guard who was with the Heat for a little bit of time. He actually coached at FAU at one point uh, recently. Uh, and I, I don't know if he's still in San Francisco, but he's, he's a college coach now. And basically, because Pat was upset at Hardaway, he had Rex lead the like film session showing everybody what they were doing wrong. I guess he was preparing to be a future coach. I can tell you that the core guys of the team did not love that. And they were sitting there for three and a half hours, six and a half hours. Okay. And we were waiting from outside of practice. I mean, literally the, the longest expulsion practice that I've ever sat outside was an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. So we're, this is not a Riley situation here. They hardly shoot around anymore. Okay. Or do that, you know, whatever. Um, but then, let me just continue here. I digress. I remember talking to Lowry and people close to him when he finally moved on from the Raptors and got to pick where he would go. He envisioned a lot of golf. He plays a ton now. We have heard that he likes Miami as a city, okay? A good team atmosphere. And then in parentheses, Doug says, I can't say that was evident last weekend and a fine end to what could be a Hall of Fame career. He's not getting that, and I'm sure it's eating at him a little bit. Nobody I talked to in Miami has any clear idea what might happen to Lowry if the season continues to go south. This is where I say the Heat were two and three after five games. This is this was written two days, you know, before the last two losses. A trade is a possibility. Does Lowry and Duncan Robinson to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook and a draft pick make sense to anyone other than the one guy I heard it from in the arena last Saturday? Maybe Lowry is just destined to play out his dotage in a in a city he chose under circumstances he couldn't have seen coming. And if that's the case, that's too bad. He's earned 
better. I mean, I don't know if Doug means if he gets traded to the Lakers or if he's saying that Miami is like finishing a career in Sacramento. But e- either way, okay, there have been enough of these whispers, not just whispers that we've discussed, okay, but just it's, it's just obvious. <laughs> I mean, if you've yeah. covered the team long enough, you just know when a guy seems to be all bought in and when he doesn't. And we said that before he acted like he hadn't heard Riley's comments about conditioning and media day. Um, he really hasn't done done a lot to kind of acclimate here. I mean, in Toronto, you talk to Toronto writers, okay? I, I know we're all over the place, but this does come back to Lowry for me, all this trade stuff. You talk to Toronto writers, and yes, Kyle could be difficult um, with them, but he was also uh, at times very generous with his time, developed mm-hmm. relationships with a lot of the media. Uh, when I when 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 he had those Zoom press conferences, because we're still during COVID, when he was signed, uh, and there were like fifty Toronto writers or media members on the call, they're all talking to him like they knew his family. They were very close. So this is not the guy who has kept the media and the public at arm's length for the course of his career. I mean, maybe before he got to Toronto, but he, it feels to me with him like Dwayne in Chicago or maybe more so Dwayne in Cleveland, because at least in Chicago, Dwayne obviously had, you know, history in Chicago, but it just seems like a guy who's like a fish out of water. Like he just, he does, he doesn't, it just doesn't seem like a fit. Um, And it does feel a little bit like he just came because Jimmy's here and that's it. And, and and that's different from what when people talk about, OK, well, LeBron came because Dwayne was here. But yes. And you can say, well, LeBron didn't buy into all the heat stuff. And some of that played into his departure and that they didn't take care of his guys the way that he wanted to. And he couldn't run the organization like we see now he's running the Lakers into the ground with no shooting around himself. Uh, but like but the rest of it, though, OK, Dwayne worked with him to become more of a heat guy. Like he, he yeah. the way he, he went and replicated it in Cleveland. He didn't like the same. Right. He brought the whole, well, he even brought JJ and, and James yeah. Jones and Mike Miller <laughs> with him to recreate the environment. Right. Okay. But it, it, this doesn't feel like, like it doesn't feel like, okay. It doesn't feel like Jimmy is Dwayne in the sense that he's going to get like, cause, cause whenever LeBron would get out of line on stuff, Dwayne would pull him back in. Dwayne kind of stopped that towards the end of the four years because he was frustrated with his own contract situation. And so part of the reason that things kind of went haywire that last year, 13, 14, other than the fact they were all tired of each other by that point, and they hadn't really added any talent to the roster. They were trying to patch it with Michael Beasley. If you remember the Tony Douglas, the last year. Okay. Uh, they, but 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 the thing was until then, like, especially during like the first, the second and third years, Dwayne held LeBron in check. There was a certain way that Dwayne knew that the Heat did things, and Dwayne was on board with the Heat to that point, right? And he he kind of held LeBron in check, all right. Uh, then Dwayne, like, it was more. It wasn't the contract situation at that point. I speak. I speak it was more Dwayne's injury situation that he was in and out of the lineup, and LeBron was frustrated with him by the fourth year, okay? Uh, because he was never. The, was LeBron wouldn't find out until five minutes before the game if Dwayne was playing or not, or else Tony Douglas was starting at the two, right? But the point is, Dwayne held him to heat culture to a certain extent. Jimmy's not doing that with Kyle. That's just not, you know what I'm saying? Like J- Jimmy has his own kind of Jimmy's great. Jimmy, <laughs> they're very happy that they have Jimmy, but Jimmy's not Dwayne in terms of being bought into all of the things that are heat. He didn't grow up in the heat organization like Dwayne did. Okay. I mean, this is all Dwayne ever knew. 
He's not going to be rigid with that, like with, towards Kyle, who's no. won a ring and is in the twilight of his career and just got paid and has family dynamics that have changed maybe his perspective on life. You know, I'm speculating there, but obviously that's stuff that comes into play. Like, I just don't see Jimmy trying to be super rigid towards Kyle all of a sudden. So you're totally right there. And like that, therein lies the ultimate issue here is that like, if this is a Kyle Lowry issue, um, one, how does Jimmy Butler internalize that situation? And two, how do they move forward? Because he's such an integral part of what they're doing and he takes up such a large percentage of the cap. So to me, it's like it's one of the more delicate scenarios because of it, its attachment to Jimmy Butler than I think maybe we thought would come to a head as it may. Maybe we're, again, we need to just breathe. Me doing the Wim Hof breathing technique, uh, I should be breathing more, right? But uh, it just feels like inevitably then we're heading down this road because things just don't feel right. The vibe is off. Yeah, and that's so when we come back, we're going to talk about this specifically because if we're going to talk about a Kyle Lowry trade, okay, or a Duncan Robinson trade, Dwayne Dedman trade, some of the other pieces, maybe Yurt comes back, he's thrown into a trade, okay? If that's going to happen, what kind of trades do these look like? Because Jim, Jimmy Bam and Tyler are not going anywhere. Okay, Tyler, obviously, for salary cap contractual reasons jimmy and bam because they're jimmy and bam so you you are talking about at most you're 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 going around the edges here you're not this is not what i think some i i I, the shakeup that may some heat fans may want uh is going to be kind of difficult to execute all right before we get to that though we do want to tell you about our gambling and our fantasy partners our gambling partner is better edge check it out b-e-t-t-o-r edge.com Use the code 5RSN. That's the number 5RSN. You get $20 to play. This is peer-to-peer betting, which makes it totally 100% legal, okay? It is legal in the state of Florida and 44 other states. You're basically betting against your friends, okay? And you're finding the line that you want. We run weekly competitions. I haven't won yet, but I have finished second ones on the NFL. So check that out, and we all promote it on the 5 Reasons account. So betteredge.com, B-E-T-T-O-R, edge.com. Again, use the code 5, number 5RSN. And you know our code for prize picks. That's our fantasy partner, F-I-V-E, prizepicks.com. Use the code 5. Go over or under on your favorite players with props. And again, they've got at any time like 10 to 12 different sports on there. You can combine a World Series play with an NBA play, with an NHL play, with an NFL play, with a college football play for the first half. You can do anything on prize picks. Just download it for free. Get your initial deposit matched up to $100 using the code F-I-V-E. Four five. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get sixteen ounce packs of flavorful Angus ninety percent lean ground sirloin for four ninety nine each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on twelve packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up. All with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, so let, let's look at this here because, you know, we talk about things they could do. We got into this a lot in the Is a Time to Panic episode, right? Like, I mean, you could start different players. You could separate the Lowry hero backcourt, right? You, there, there's, you could try to go bigger in the starting lineup. There's different ways they can go. But if they get to a trade, again, I come back to this. It, it, you know, look, Duncan Robinson, is he in your view, okay, on the, on the negative to positive um, asset scale? Okay, from negative to positive, one to ten, negative. Where is Duncan Robinson as an asset, including that contract? 
you either need to trade him for a player with an equal number of years at an equal dollar amount, or he costs a first round pick to move. That's how I would see that. I don't think he costs more than one pick to move, but I think that he costs a pick to move. So as a negative to positive asset right now, what would you, what would you say? Three out of 10, four out of 10. Five is flat line. Five means he's a neutral asset. No. So he's like a three and a half. Okay. Dwayne Dedman right now. Um, he's just a throw in. So he, he, his contract, they, they don't really evaluate his asset ranking when he, oh. you know, he's just like fodder for a trade. Frankly, I hate to say that he's a great guy. <laughs> uh, but here's the complicated one. Kyle Lowry with the money he has left. What does he have left? 58 million over two years after, uh, yep. including he's, this year, he's, right? he, yeah, well, he's 28.3 this year and then another year at slightly an accelerated amount. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I think by himself, there could be a couple scenarios around the league where you find a team that's really disorganized, feeling panicked, and in the same moment, um, like, you know, you look at Brooklyn, you look at the Lakers, you think about what if Dallas or the Clippers continue like and don't play well. Um, who would want to look for a veteran quarterback to come in and kind of settle things down and try to make a playoff run? Maybe one of those teams all of a sudden – uh, you could match, you know, a big bloated contract for Kyle. But to me, I think that uh, to move him just straight up for space, it would also cost a pick. So, uh, but neither of those things are really what Miami would do. They're going to be looking for viable replacement talent that fits. So, but to your point, like it's not a situation where Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry together are some immaculate package. So again, this goes back to, do you exhaust your draft assets and anything else that you can package in a deal and really try to take a big swing at creating a different uh, supporting cast around your top three guys or do you like go a Russell Westbrook, like what was mentioned in the article you said, and what if you get one of LA's picks to take Kyle and Duncan um, and you get one of those picks back, Russell Westbrook is an expiring contract. Again, it hurts my head to say out loud that they would even think in those terms because it feels so far from where this team was playing against Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I just feel like at some point you can't have that much quote unquote dead money whether it be in spirit or in production on your roster. And one of the things when we talk about that term, like, you know, breathe and kind of wait, you know, I go both ways on this because there have been times that heat officials have said, just wait, let's see the season play out. And they were right. Okay. 15, 16 was one of those years. And it wasn't, didn't happen the way they expected because nobody expected Chris Bosch to get sick again. The whole hope was that Bosch and Whiteside could play together. The well Deng could be a really good three for them. And with Dragic and Wade, you look that that was a starting lineup they felt very good about, uh, but it didn't work with Chris. And then Chris went out and, you know, uh, Spo made the move to put Luol Deng at the four. They eventually signed Joe Johnson, remember? And look, that and that team was within, you know, a game. They ran out of gas and they had some injuries, but they were within a game of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. So in that year, they were right in the in the in the 16, 17 year, they thought they had to blow it up. Okay, at 10 and th- they were not expecting the run that came at 11 and 30, right? To 30 and 11. Uh, but they waited because they, they won a couple of games and said, okay, let's wait and see how this goes, right? Because they're always going to go that direction instead of the tanking direction if they can. The 07 08 season, they thought they still had a good team. They still had Shaq on that team. 
all hell broke loose early in that year. Then everybody got hurt. Everybody, including Wade Haslam, the whole rest of the team. And we all know uh, they were playing guys like Blake Ahern. Okay. And Kasib Powell late that year, calling up the whole G league before they had a G league program like they have now. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of jerseys you could probably try to find for that year that would be collector's items. Okay. So they didn't anticipate that year going that way, but the one I'm going to come back to a little bit. And I know those who listen to the podcast who are inside that building may quarrel with me on this one, but the, the 14, 15 season to me uh, is the one that, that I know we keep talking about two years ago with this particular group, but the 14, 15 season is what worries me a little bit. Because all I heard that year, and we should have Norris on because he's with us to talk about this, but all LeBron left, right? They re-signed Bosch and Wade. They were going to build the thing around the two of them, okay? And But then what happened was, you know, again, it just, they were playing Henry Walker down the stretch of games, taking big shots, right? Michael Beasley. And, and one of the things you kept hearing was, well, we haven't had our starting lineup together, right? Well, the starting lineup that they were trying to put together was basically Norris Cole, uh, Dwayne, Dang, uh, Bosch and McRoberts. Am I, am I correct? I think that's what it was. I think and and I think they played like 32 minutes together or something like that. But they just kept waiting until they were going to see that group, and that group never materialized. And you know, let's just be honest. I don't know what that group would have been anyway, mm-hmm. even if it had. This team overall, because that was a diminished Dwayne at that point. Okay, this team is, I believe more talented overall than that team was projected to be. I think people got in their heads a little bit, you know, because LeBron leaving. Okay. And they were like trying to prove something to the world and we're going to recover from this and all the rest of that before they got Dragic. Okay. So it's not exactly comparable, but what is a little bit concerning to me is sometimes when I hear from the heat organization, just be patient. Let's wait to see how this plays out. Sometimes it just doesn't. Okay. More often than not with them, it does but sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes it just doesn't correct. Sometimes this is who you are, okay? And even if you were in the Eastern Conference Finals the year before and within a shot of the finals, it's who you're going to be, okay? Because it's just a circumstance of change. Because the the 0506 team won a championship and the next year deserved to get their asses swept off the court against the Chicago Bulls with Pat kind of almost sarcastically clapping them to the bench. Yeah. And we knew from the very beginning, if you covered that team that year, you knew they were not defending their title. You just knew. Like, you watched them. You watched, you saw the body language. You knew Gary Payton had gotten his ring. Okay. Antoine, Antoine. had come back out of shape, right? James Posey had gotten – this is a big historical episode. He was drinking champagne on media day. <laughs> I mean, Twan told us in the locker room he was going to drink until training camp, and he was a man of his word, okay? Like, okay, so that's – all right? And they got suspended, and there was all that other kind of stuff, right? Like – this is you just know at the beginning of the year, like even the year that like James Johnson and Dion came back, not the way that you wanted to be. And I remember walking in uh, was this three, four years ago in West Palm and walking by Pat. And he was clearly talking to James Johnson's agent, telling him to get his ass in shape. Look, th- this is there are just certain um, years where it just never materializes like you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is one of those years, okay? I think they can get this thing fixed. I, I'm coming back to the point of what Eric Spolster told me in the Bahamas, which how much talent this group has and how many combinations and how excited he was about it. I don't think that's changed in two, three weeks, okay? But they have clear issues. And I don't know if it's just as simple as let's just let as much of the group get together as possible. Depot comes back, okay? Yurt comes back. We have more to work with. 
everybody gets a more positive attitude. We string a couple wins together and all of a sudden we get a roll. I just, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. And so we come back to the idea of, okay, what do they do? And if they don't want a lost season, then you do make a move. And really the only pieces we're really talking about as significant would be Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson, right? That's it. And draft picks. Right. But they could get something for that. Like let's not, and, and we'll have a separate show on that about like really hone in on what that looks like. Cause I threw out just, you know, arbitrary numbers that just make the math work, but there's uh, with, with picks attached, they can do something with that. But again, like it's an all in move uh, and it also could have luxury tax implications. Like that's another thing that they're up against the tax. So like any trade they make, it's going to have to be very meticulously planned out from a balance sheet perspective. So um I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but I think you're on to something in that it's risky for them to wait this year more than ever, because very rarely do they have not just a contending team, but a contending team with young ascending players still on that roster. So they need to do right by all of those guys and continue to contend. So um, this is a, an interesting little conundrum. Well, they also have decisions to make about a couple of guys coming up. Um, one of which is Gabe Vincent which plays into the Lowry thing. I mean, if, if you're going to pay Gabe Vincent, it's because you think he can be a borderline starting point guard in this league at the very least. Are we going to see him in more starts? I do think we're going to see a situation as the year goes on where Kyle is going to take just scheduled days off anyway. And I'm, I'm talking about independent of the personal situation that he may or may not have to leave for again. And so you are going to get a chance to see Gabe in that role. And this just might happen on its own. We, we've seen that too. Some guys, Sometimes guys go out and other guys outperform and then it just kind of becomes, and then it's like, I mean, you know, you're dealing with it with the Westbrook situation in LA right now. Okay. Um, I, I talked to on national pod today. I talked about how Allen Iverson didn't want to come off the bench late in his career. Dwayne Wade did it. Okay. For the franchise that he was basically the mega star for, which I, Dwayne has never gotten enough credit for that. Okay. It's a very unique individual who would have accepted that role. And not only that, but thrived in it would Kyle Lowry, if that was the case, if that's, if that's the next step here, you know, we'll see, but I do think Gabe's going to get more reps as a starting point guard, because I, I have concerns about the Lowry hero backcourt. I, I do. And it's not just because of Kyle, it's both of them. I just, I just doesn't, it doesn't look like a, a pure fit to me. And it's just, you cannot put Tyler back on the bench at this point. You, you've given him that starting role. You've given him that extension. You've talked about how Bam and him are core to your future. You're not yanking him for the starting lineup for the second time in three years. I, I don't care you know how frustrated Eric may be by his defense at times. He's not taking him out. Okay. At this one point, one of the two has to play defense. That's it. Well, that's the thing, though. Neither of them is guarding the best players on the other team's backcourt because Caleb I mean, is. <laughs> right? I mean, right? I mean, you brought in. I mean, that's the thing. You brought. I understand the nature of the, the Heat's defense that some of this lends itself to it, the switching and everything else, the cross matches. But you brought in Kyle Lowry in part to be a point of attack defender. That's half of the role here. But you have Caleb Martin chasing around the Aaron Fox. And chasing around Steph Curry. And we're going to see that over the next couple of days. And then it just becomes, okay, you know, what are you getting in terms of value as a starting point guard? If you have someone who's not beating anybody off the dribble and he's not guarding the other team's best guard, then he's just bringing his IQ, which is important, his passing ability, which is important. But then to me, the thing, if, if he's going to be a plus on this team, 
he's got to be an active scorer shooter. Okay. That, that, that tips it. If he's not going to be a great point of attack defender anymore, if he's not going to be blowing past people to get to the rim. And I think, in, I think we agree on that. We're probably not going to see that guy consistently, right? Not every night. Then yeah, he's got to be making outside shots. I mean, he's just, and, and the pull-up numbers are, are really bad right now. They're in the twenties and, and that's, you know, he's better as Brady has pointed out. Others have pointed out he's better on catch and shoots right now. Um, which means he maybe he should be playing off the ball a little bit more, but he just told a reporter that he thinks he could do more with the ball in his hand. So we, we went a lot of different ways with this episode. I think we're coming to this. Okay. I, I do think that this team, if they continue to struggle is going to look to shake it up. And I think we're going to be doing more Kyle Lowry podcasts. I, I right. Isn't, isn't that home base at this point? Congratulations to our listeners. Lots of Kyle Lowry content is coming in your future, but they also like transaction talk. So we'll see, but you know what? We were told to breathe. Let's end the show by knowing that they have, what is it? Six out of their next seven at home. Mm -hmm. And so this is, it's a good place to end tonight's show. If you can't figure your shit out in the next six out of seven at home, we're going to know what the hell is going on with this team. There's no wait. There's no, let's see what happens with this lineup and this guy. No, no, no. Like this is it. So we're going to be informed very shortly. And Spolstra's post game presser the other night was informative in its own by its tone, by its tone. He He's frustrated. It's, it's clear. That doesn't mean that he feels hopeless on the situation. They'll continue to work. And like I said, he liked his team in training camp. But there are certain things that are not clicking and it's just it's just become evident. And then I did want to bring up the Doug Smith story with Lowry, because I I know, you know, again, when you're the lead beat writer, okay, in a market, which Doug Smith has been in Toronto for all that time. And Kyle Lowry was the face of the Toronto Raptors for like nearly a decade. You know what that guy is thinking in the same way that when Dwayne went to Chicago and Cleveland, because I've covered Dwayne since 2003 and developed a relationship with Dwayne and everybody around him. I knew he was not happy in Chicago. It comes across in that Doug Smith article that Kyle is not happy with the heat. It just, that's, that's how that reads to me. That's somebody who's talked to people around him, talked to people inside the organization, talked to reporters, perhaps talked to Kyle. I just, I know, I know how to do that article. I've done those. My, when I was a writer, my whole, that's how that reads to me. And it's consistent with the information that you and I have gotten behind the scenes. Correct. So, right. So that's, that's where we're at with it. All right. That episode was all over the place, but we hope we gave you a little insight. We went a little down memory lane. We tend to drift a little bit more with Greg and I do these because I go, I go, I go into. Uh, we have senior stop. moments. And well, just I go go into, yeah, well, don't give me senior <laughs> moments. I got two months to 50, but I, but I, I, you know, my daughter asked me if I met Abraham Lincoln, but, but I am, it's not, see, it's just, it's nostalgia, right? Cause you basically mark, yeah. the, you mark the days in your life by heat seasons. I know where I was in 2007. I know where I was in 1999. Uh, and I'm no smarter now than I was then. All right. Thanks to Greg. Thanks to our sponsors. Prize picks. Use the code 5FIVE. Better Edge. Use the code uh, 5RSN for that one. And then Senior Moment. Oh, Eric Rubenstein, our personal injury attorney here. Uh, go to Ask About Me. I got you on Instagram. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.